Welcome to the Pause Purpose Play podcast with me, Michaela Thomas, clinical psychologist, couples therapist, and founder of The Thomas Connection. I help high-striving busy people let go of the pressure of perfection to create more joy, connection, and compassion in their lives. On this podcast, we promote balance of a burnout through giving you the permission to pause, the curiosity to find your purpose, and the courage to play. Welcome back to the Pause Purpose Play podcast with me, Michaela Thomas. In this series of special episodes around The Lasting Connection, the upcoming book that I've got coming out on February the 11th. And today we're going to go a bit more deeply into that, becoming a bit more mindfully aware, awake and aware even, about how hard it is to be in a relationship, understanding more mindfully your own feelings, your own reactions, and learning a bit more about why we need to shine a spotlight on these things to have a deeper connection in our relationship, why we need to be mindfully compassionate of each other, and what happens when we are not. So if you haven't already done so, you can go on to Amazon or Waterstones or any other independent bookseller and get your copy of The Lasting Connection now. In this episode, we start to move into the second part of the book, which is about developing your compassionate mind. Now we're entering eight chapters of the book that also correspond to the eight-week course, The Compassionate Couple, that I've got for couples wanting to go through a self-paced journey on your own without another couples therapist or relationship coach present, just you and your partner on your own. So that course will be coming over the next couple of months. And I actually had the course first before I wrote the book. Well, these eight chapters of this part of the book were the ones I wrote first. Having guided couples in a group through these practices and helping couples become more mindfully aware of what's going on for them. Because if you don't notice what's going on within you, in your inner world, your thoughts, your feelings, your fantasies, your urges, your wishes, if you don't notice that stuff, how are you going to become aware of how that influences your behaviour, how you act in your relationship? And if you don't learn to become mindfully aware of your partner's experiences, noticing the outer world around you, so obviously your partner isn't the only part of your outer world, but they do make up a big part of it, especially if you're living together, sharing a life together. So this is what we think of as mindfulness, becoming mindfully aware, noticing in the present moment what's going on within you and around you. Often mindfulness is promoted as something that's very relaxing and lovely and leaves you feeling a sense of calm. But, you know, that doesn't happen for everyone especially for the slightly perfectionistic, high-striving, ambitious people that I help who are kind of very caught up in busyness. Coming into stillness and starting to notice things around you and inside you can actually be very aversive for some people. That can feel hard to become mindfully aware of what's going on for you. But for a lot of people, yes, slowing down, noticing things, especially when you do so non-judgmentally, without putting judgment on what you find not judging yourself for having the thoughts you're having, for feeling what you're feeling and having the urges you're having. When we don't judge ourselves for what we find internally, actually it can be quite calming to just notice it, to just be with what is. 
So the intention isn't to feel calm. It's not necessarily a calming down exercise. It is to just be more aware of what is. And this is helpful for couples because if a couple can notice on what's going on in their relationship, when they need to make efforts to reconnect, then they're more ahead of the pain. They're being more proactive rather than reactive. If they can be aware of their triggers, noticing how they're feeling in the moment, they can take action to calm themselves, soothe themselves, to overbridge any difficulties. So that's why mindfulness is really helpful to practice because physical intimacy can also be positively heightened by it. If you're able to focus on the present moment rather than getting stuck inside your head and getting lost in all the busyness of work, etc., you're more likely to connect with your partner in the here and now and more likely to feel a sense of pleasure and desire if you're connecting intimately with your partner. So it's good, not just emotionally, but also sexually, to practice mindfulness. So I want to think about first, what are the different kinds of mindfulness practice you can try? So I think of defining them as formal versus informal practice. Formal mindfulness meditation is often where you sit in a kind of upright posture, seated, and you do a meditation. You can be guided by someone, um, you can listen to an audio, there's lots of apps for this, or you can be just sort of going somewhere in your mind on your own. And then we have informal mindfulness practice, where you engage with your outer and inner world day to day. You can do that anywhere, unguided, unprompted, but obviously there are great um, audios for that as well that you can be guided to really notice things and you can make it super small like watching your kettle boil really tasting the toothpaste in your mouth really noticing that sensation of brushing and just maybe really enjoying the smells of your shower gel and feeling the warmth of the water on your skin you know the list is endless of anything you can come up with that you can practice really noticing in the present moment Noticing how your feet are touching the ground when you're walking, looking around to see any sights around you, noticing the colours on the trees, hearing the, the birds chirping, whatever you want. And that's more informal mindfulness practice, where you don't have to be sitting in stillness, you can still engage with the world around you, but in more informal ways. And for a lot of high striving people, they find that an easier way in, because that sense of busyness might block them taking 10, 15, 20 minutes of seated meditation, and it might actually then not happen. And better the practice that happens than the perfect practice that you don't engage in. And there is no such thing as perfect practice anyway. So in the book, in this chapter, I go through a few guided exercises that you can try, like the spotlight of attention and the mindfulness of sound. If you buy the book, you can then go to the website and download the audios that correspond to that section in the chapters. And now I want to just briefly touch upon why it's important to consider our minds in a more mindful way rather than being mindless. Because we want to consider how normal and human it is for you to drift in your attention. That we can think of the mind as a time traveler that is able to travel to the future and worry about what's not yet happened and able to travel to the past and ruminate and dwell on all the things you feel have gone wrong. So no wonder then that it's hard to be focused in the present moment when your mind just has this capacity for time travel and imagine all the difficulties that will lead to for couples when you're stuck in the past, rehashing past arguments, 
or traveling to the future worrying about maybe breaking up or being left. And that's why it's really important to find an anchor back into the present moment to see that that's already happened or that's no longer happening or thinking that that may not happen in the future because I have the power to change the now. And this is actually something that your mind just does. It gets caught up into loops in your mind of rehashing things that have already happened and worrying about things that have not yet happened and also giving yourself a really hard time for whatever you did in the past, adding self-criticism as an extra layer of shame and blame on top of what's already been difficult that you experienced. And that's a big difference that I want you to remember from a little metaphor, if you may, thinking about what animals in the wild are like and why they don't have the same mindless wandering and time traveling that we do, simply because their brains aren't developed like ours. They don't have the same frontal lobes that have the capacity for coming up with fantastic cures to illnesses and bringing people to the moon. So they don't have that organizational, strategizing, planning, future-orientated part of their brains. They are much more in the present moment. So I want to use a metaphor to help you explain that. And that's the, the lion and the zebra. So imagine on the savannah that a zebra or a group of zebras are out grazing, doing what zebras do, and suddenly they freeze. They spot the movement of the lioness who's out hunting. And what they then all do is they stand very still to begin with. This is instinctual because predators go on movement so that the zebras stand very still hoping that they won't be spotted. If it becomes clear that the, the lioness actually has seen them, they break into a run and they run as fast as they can because the zebras run for their lives. The lioness, she runs as fast as she can because she runs for her lunch. And so the chase is on. And if, as this happens in nature all the time, if the zebra outruns and escapes the lioness, what happens when it's then the threat is over, when the danger has passed, is that the zebra continues to do what zebras do. They graze, they might mate, they look after the young, they just do the things that zebras do. What happens for humans, even after a threat has passed, is that we then have a capacity to rehash what happened. So imagine that you saw a lioness, you know, wandering around in your town, which is rather bizarre, but just go with me here. Say that you've just got your lunch, you're carrying your, you know, your lunch in a bag and you're hoping to sit down in the park to eat your lunch. And then you see this lioness prowling and you get terrified. You get paralyzed to begin with and then you run. And you seek shelter in a building thinking that lions can't open doors. And once you're inside, you know you're safe. But do you just feel calmly like sitting down, eating your sandwich or eating your soup, whatever you got for your lunch? Do you feel like maybe sitting around, sending a message, sending a racy text to your partner, asking what's up? Probably not. Probably your mind is preventing you from just soothing yourself and settling back down and doing the normal human things you were going to do, like eating your lunch calmly in the park. Instead, our brain rehashes things, worries about what could have happened, worries what will happen when you go outside, maybe thinking that everyone else has been eaten by the lion. What if... That little child that you ran past won't make it. Maybe you're adding self-criticism. I should have saved the child. Maybe I'm a coward. All of those extra layers that we add becomes very complicated and difficult for couples because we do that when we fight too. 
even when the actual argument is over, even when the threat is over, we tend to be still threat-focused in our minds. And this is where mindfulness comes in, where we then notice how we're feeling, notice that we're needing to soothe ourselves, and then using compassion as a way to be sensitive to what we're going through, having sensitivity to your own suffering and to your partner's suffering. Remember the definition of compassion? Sensitivity to the suffering of yourself and others with a commitment to try to alleviate and prevent the return of that suffering. So then noticing that you're both a bit het up, noticing that you're feeling threatened, and then thinking what's going to be helpful rather than harmful right now. Maybe it would be quite harmful to add more criticism or beating yourself up. So what's going to be more helpful? This is where we think of compassion as not just something you do for others, not just something you receive from others, but also something you do for yourself. So we think of compassion as three flows from you to your partner and other people, from your partner to you, and obviously from other people to you as well, and then from yourself to yourself. And this is going to be really important as we go into the next episode around understanding your emotions more clearly. So I hope this has been helpful in considering what happens in your mind when you time travel to the past and to the future and how mindful compassion can help you bring it right back to the here and now without judgment. If you enjoyed this episode, do take a deeper dive into the book, The Lasting Connection. And remember that you will get lots of audio exercises to download for free together with the book. You can go to Amazon or any of the other big booksellers and order The Lasting Connection now. And until next time, do try to take care of yourself. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. I know it's not easy when you feel busy and overwhelmed to find time for another thing to do. If this is you, if you feel overwhelmed or that you are close to your breaking point, then I've got a downloadable checklist for you that's going to help. This checklist is called Calm the Overwhelm. The first section has signs and symptoms of you being overwhelmed mentally or physically, showing you that you might be close to breaking point or burning out. The second part is actionable, easy things you can do to try to slow down and give yourself a break. And the third part is a checklist of all the things that might show up when you're asking yourself to take a break. Perhaps your inner critical voice will have an opinion about why you're not allowed to give yourself the permission to pause. To download this free resource, go to www.thethomasconnection.co.uk forward slash calm. So that's the thomasconnection.co.uk forward slash calm. This episode of the Pause Purpose Play podcast was presented by me, Michaela Thomas. And you can find me on thethomasconnection.co.uk. And because great work rests on having a great team, this episode was kindly edited by Emily Crosby Media.